1939, George Danzig enrolled in a graduate program in statistics at the University of California at Berkeley. The beginning of one of the class sessions, his professor, Dr. Jerzy Neyman, uh, chalked two examples of famously unsolvable problems on the blackboard. Now, George happened to be late to class that day, missing the disclaimer that they were unsolvable. Uh, he thought that the unsolvable problems were the homework assignment. So he transcribed them in his notebook and went to work. Now, it took a little bit longer than he anticipated, but George Danzig solved both of those unsolvable problems. A few weeks later, a very excited professor literally knocked on the door of his apartment on a sunny morning, and George was like, what is going on? He actually apologized because he thought that he was in trouble because the assignment was overdue. And that's, of course, when Dr. Naaman informed him that he had solved two of statistics' unsolvable problems. Now, uh, George Danzig finished his doctorate in 1946, um, Worked at the Defense Department here in D.C. for a while. I think in 66, he went uh, and took a position on the faculty uh, computer science at Stanford University. Um, distinguished career, 1975, won the National Medal uh, of Science. Um, and some of the algorithms that he coined um, uh, still influenced the way that that. Uh, airplanes um, schedule their fleets, the way that shipping companies uh, deploy their trucks, the way that uh, financial companies do their revenue projections, the way that um, oil refineries um, do what they do. And so his legacy is felt far and wide, even to this day. But I would suggest that the genesis of his genius can be traced back to one seminal moment as a statistics student at Cal Berkeley. Now, I love the way that Danzig put it many years after the fact. He said, if someone had told me that they were two famous unsolved problems, I probably wouldn't even have tried to solve them. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Because if you think you can't, you won't ask or seek or knock. You won't pray. You won't believe God for the miracle. And that's why last week we talked about how faith is unlearning every assumption save one that God is able and not just able, more than able and not just more than able. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. Now you're going to have to trust me on this. What that means is we underestimate how good and how God, great God is by at least 15.5 billion light years. With that as a backdrop, I want us to look at John 6 because I think what we have is a famous unsolvable statistical problem. And the problem is this, if you have 5,000 men plus women and children, how are you going to feed them with five loaves and two fish? It's an unsolvable problem. Why? Because we assume that five plus two equals seven. No, it does not. Not in God's kingdom. 
not biblically, not in John 6. Five plus two equals 5,000, remainder 12. You see, in God's kingdom, if you add God to the equation, he can take two fish, five loaves, and feed 5,000, and then have more left over than he started with. Now I'm liking where this is going. Um, And we're going to talk about this miracle. And so we talked about how every atom in the universe is subject to the authority of its creator. We talked about how you go nowhere by accident, that God is setting up divine appointments. You are part of someone else's miracle. We've talked about unlearning assumptions. And this weekend, I want to talk about the miracle of multiplication. And do not make the mistake of thinking that this is just an isolated miracle that happened once. You go to your concordance and you see how often the word multiply is used. Uh, I came across it because I'm reading through Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7.13. I love it. It says, I will bless you, I will love you, and I will multiply you. And it says it about a hundred times in a hundred different ways. And so, Let's talk about it, and uh, let's see what kind of miracle God might want to do in our lives this weekend. John 6, verse 1. Now, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, I don't know exactly why he was picking on Philip, but Philip was from Bethsaida, just a few miles from here. So it's possible that he would know if anybody knew where the nearest Panera was, right? that he would know where to go to get some food. And, uh, and it says, he asked this only to test him. Now I'm reading the King James right now, and it says to prove him. But it, it says, he asked this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. And so I love this, because he's already got the game plan, but... Uh, he lets Philip in on it. Let me stop right here. If you um, grew up any, anywhere between 1963 and 1997, you heard this message more than once. This is the test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. I think there are moments in Scripture where God says, this is a test. For the next week or month or year, and unfortunately it doesn't tell us exactly how long, but it's using more than 60 seconds. Uh, I will conduct a test of the emergency phase system, right? But this is only a test. Now, now I know the second I bring up test, um, for one, our Georgetown location, like they're like, thank you very little. Like as if we're not taking enough tests, you know, at the beginning of the semester. Um, and, and we kind of have this, this negative perception of test. But let, let me ask you a question. How'd you get your degree? Well, you had to take some tests, didn't you? No test equals no degree. How'd you get your license? You had to take a test, written and road test, and for which all the rest of us are grateful. No test, no driver's license. Um, I don't care what we're talking about. In God's kingdom, let me put it this way. No test, no testimony. 
God didn't get a testimony in seminary. I did get a degree, okay? But that's not where you go and get a testimony. You get a testimony when you're taking a test. And what I want you to understand is that God is always testing us. Um, like a brilliant teacher. In fact, what's funny here is that uh, the uh, disciples had already failed uh, their math test with the feeding of 4,000. They didn't get it. And, and so in, in his mercy, th- this is a makeup test. And Jesus said, now let's try this again. And, and it's almost like, um, he's like, all right, Philip, now stick with me here. How much is five plus two? And Philip does it again. He says, Seven. And, you know, and then Jesus pulls out flashcards, two fish, five loaves, 20,000 people. Like, and, 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 he, and he gracefully wants to make sure, why? Because God's not going to graduate you to the next level until you pass the test. He wants you to learn right now. Um, all of us know people who have been following Christ for 25 years, but they do not have 25 years of experience. They have one year of experience repeated 25 times because they're not learning the lessons that God is teaching. I, I, can I just say, can we just all agree right now that we're gonna have teachable spirits? Like, come on, a teachable spirit. Give me someone with a teachable spirit. And they're going to learn. Why? Because they're hungry to learn. They're open to learn. They're humble enough to learn. Here's what I know for sure. God is testing you right now. Now I don't know exactly how and where. Um, Can you stay sexually pure when you're single? If you can, it's a lot easier to stay faithful when you're married. God's testing you. Listen, when you're G1 or G2 on the GS pay scale, Are you tithing? Are you giving back to God? Because if you are, it's going to be a lot easier when you're G15 to be faithful in giving back to God. I don't care what the situation is. God is testing us right here, right now. Now, here's my point. This is a proving ground for Philip. It's a proving ground. Now, let's get technical. Proving ground is the name for a military installation where weapons, technology, or tactics or tested in a similar fashion. There are proving grounds in Scripture. You got Mount Moriah, you know, the base camp, where God is going to test Abraham's faith. You've got the fiery furnace. What a proving ground for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, You've got an Egyptian dungeon. It was a proving ground for Joseph. You've got uh, Nehemiah. His proving ground was, what kind of job are you going to do as a cupbearer? G1, what kind of job are you going to do? Listen, I want to tell you something. If you can do a good job at a bad job, I know some of you, you, you have a job, so let's thank God for that. But it's not the job you want to do for the rest of your life. That's okay, but can you do a good job at a bad job? Because if you can, it's a proving ground. Every test is an opportunity um, for you to prove yourself to God. And listen to me and God to prove himself to you. And he wants to. God wants to prove himself to you. So I don't know exactly what God wants to prove to you or what you might need to prove to God, but I have a hunch. In fact, this is what I've been praying. Lord, I know. I know there are people. It's a proving ground. 
D.C. is their proving ground, the job that they have right now. Uh, some of you, difficult relationship. Listen, can you hang in there? Can you stay faithful? It's a proving ground. Um, I want you to know that your pastor's praying for you. I want to give you a promise to hang on to, okay? Here it is. Deuteronomy 8.2. Love this. Moses is recounting the journey through the wilderness. And here's what he said. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. And here it is, three things. To humble thee, to prove thee, and to know what is in thine heart. You wanna know what God's doing in your life right now? Some of you, you're in a season, he's humbling you. Praise God for it. Um, when I graduated from seminary and I had everything figured out, Lord had to humble me. And so that first attempt at a church plant um, didn't go so well. And you know what? The Lord humbled me. In fact, it was humiliating. And, and I look back on it and I'm so grateful. God, thank you. Thank you for humbling me. Um, some of you, you're in a season where uh, God is proving you. Listen, can you be faithful with a few things? Can you be faithful with the little that God has given to you? And if you can be, listen, God will bless it and God will bless you. And then to know what is in thine heart. You know, Psalm 18, 25 says, with the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless man, you prove yourself blameless. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. Here's what I'm getting at. God's gonna prove himself to you. He's gonna do it. I'm gonna stand on the promises of God and I'm gonna declare that boldly. Now I can't tell you if it's gonna be a week or a month or a year, whatever. But the proving ground that you're on right now, God will prove himself to you. You keep standing on his promises. All right, back to John 6. This is a test. More specifically, a math test. Verse seven. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I think there are gonna be moments in your life where it doesn't add up. Will of God does not add up. Um, Philip does a quick calculation and he figures it would take half a year's wages for everybody to get just one bite. And let me tell you a story. Because I want you to understand what you're buying into, this thing called National Community Church. I want, to understand, I want you to understand our convictions and the way that we operate, our operating system, our 8.0, okay, as National Community Church. Um, on August 25th, 1996, it was a defining moment. Um, our income was $2,000 a month, and you've heard me share this, $1,600 to rent the D.C. public school where we, where we met. That left $400 for our salary and all other expenses. You annualize it, our church was going to make $24,000 that year. And God spoke to me. He said, I want you to start giving to missions. I was pretty sure the Lord meant that message for someone else. <laughs> and that we would be the recipients of him speaking to someone else. I remember August 25th writing a $50 check. That might not seem like much, but I, I guess 2.5% of our income right there. As, as, and I remember thinking, God, we, how can we give what we don't have? We're not even self-supporting. We gave that first $50 check. I'll never forget 
What happened next? The, the next month, their income tripled from $2,000 to $6,000. Listen, I, I have only one explanation, and it's Luke 6, 38. Given will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, reporting to your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. You cannot cheat God. You cannot break the law of sowing and reaping. And the good news today is you can't outgive God. Now, I'm going to go on record. You need to hear this. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. Anytime you add a word, add anything to the gospel, you're subtracting from it because the gospel is as good as it gets. And it's not some get-rich-quick uh, scheme. Um, and, and if God blesses you, it's not to raise your standard of living. It's to raise your standard of giving. The reason why God blesses you more is so that you can be more of a blessing. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I make no apologies if, if any of us are, are making money and God is blessing it and multiplying it, but we better die dirt poor because we gave it all back to the kingdom of God and we were wise with the steward, uh, with, the, with the things that God entrusted to us. So you, you need to hear, hear my heart. Um, you can't play God, okay? It's not a slot machine. But in my experience, you can't outgive them either. And uh, for me, for the last uh, 22 years, Laura and I, it's been a little bit of a game. And we never won. And there's nothing that I love losing at more <laughs> than God proving himself time and time again. That doesn't mean that we haven't had our lean years, a um, lot of lean years. Seminary, oh my goodness. Like I remember the years where we couldn't get a car fixed, didn't have the money to get it fixed. Um, couldn't afford cable TV. What a travesty. First world problem right there, right? Um, where we, we couldn't, we had to measure out the gas. I remember when we moved here, we had no guaranteed salary. I'd travel and preach and we'd live off of offerings. I remember driving out to West Virginia and, and more than once, the, the offering that, that these little churches, God bless them, would take for us, wouldn't even cover the gas there and back. And, and so I've worked a lot of odd jobs. I've done different things. I've held down a couple of different incomes because sometimes you just got to endure, okay? But that didn't keep us from giving because we made a decision. We would never not tithe, that we would give God the first fruits. You give it some time and I promise you, God is gonna deliver on his promise. Now back to the first $50 check to missions. We have a 2020 vision. I want you to hear this because we gotta talk about this every once in a while. Our 2020 vision is, is 20 expressions. Now um, we have seven campuses. Uh, we've also got an Ebenezer's on Capitol Hill. We've got a cafe in Berlin and, and uh, I think we'll you know have a dozen campuses around the DC area and then we'll begin looking at some other cities and see where God is leading us. Um, we, we have a pretty big dream. Uh, we want to be touching tens of thousands of lives, but here's what I want you to hear. We want to grow more so that we can give more, okay? The, the engine behind this thing is not just 20, 20 expressions. Listen, we, we want to be giving 2 million to missions annually by the year 2020. That's the vision that we cast in 2010. Now, the good news is last year we gave 1.8 million. And I was talking with our financial team this week and the projections are like 2.5 if we just kind of stay on a trajectory, 2.5 by 2018. Um, and so we're gonna give. Um, and I wanna tell you where that comes from. We have a core conviction that God will bless us in proportion to how we give to missions and how we care for the poor in our city. Why? Because uh, here's what I believe. The poor are near and dear to the heart of God. And, and if you ignore what is near and dear to the heart of God, 
Something's not right. And so that's why we're building a dream center, raised $3.5 million to build on the east side of the Anacostia River. And God's going to use that for us to touch, touch a lot of lives. And we're, and we're doing it now, too. But, uh, and then missions, um, 27 trips this year. Um, and we love to give to missions. I, I want to tell you why, because that's the front lines of the kingdom. And I want to tell you the greatest tragedy, the greatest tragedy is someone who lives their entire life and never hears the name of Jesus never has an opportunity to know their creator, the one that has plans and purposes. And so we're, we're, gonna, keep, uh, we're gonna keep giving to the front lines and trust that God's gonna watch our bottom line. And so if we operate that way, I totally trust um, the Lord because it's the law of measures. Here's where I'm getting at and maybe I can personalize it now. Do not wait until you have 5,000 fish to start giving, to start investing, to start putting what is in your hand into God's hand. You start with two fish. You put it into God's hand and you see what God can do. It, it, if you wait until it adds up, you'll never tithe, you'll never adopt, you'll never apply for grad school, you'll never go on the mission trip, you'll never sponsor the child, and I could give you a dozen other things that you will never, ever do if you wait until it adds up, but if you put it into God's hands, he might just multiply it into a miracle for others. And sometimes if you want God to do something beyond your ability, sometimes giving beyond your ability is a way to set that up. Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you cannot contain it. In other words, so blessed. There's no way you can hold on to all of it for yourself. You've got to share it. You've got to give it. Um, you know what? Uh, I think that tithing is simply trusting. It's trusting that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. It's a great starting point. If you don't know where to start coming out of this message, talking about God's multiplying, start with the tithe. Verse 8. Now another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But here's the question. But how far will they go among so many? And that's where we get stuck. We let what we cannot do keep us from doing what we can. Now, psychologists call it the drop in the bucket effect. There's a technical, technical name for it. When, when we're overwhelmed by the scale of a problem or by statistics, sometimes instead of motivating us, it paralyzes us and we do nothing. And let me tell you a story. In 1950, Bob Pierce was in Korea working with children who had been orphaned because of the war. Now, one day he was in one of the food lines that, that fed these children that had been orphaned, and he literally watched a child drop dead in the food line because there was no food at the front of the line. Now, there are moments where your heart breaks for the things that break the heart of God. Defining moment for Bob Pierce. Um, in fact, it became his life mission that he was going to get food to the front of the lines if it's the last thing he did, and he started an organization called World Vision. Now, one of those trips, Bob met a little girl named White Jade who had been beaten and disowned by her family because of her faith in Christ. And all he had in his pocket was five bucks that day. 
But he reached in his pocket. He pulled out a $5 bill, which doesn't seem like much. What difference is it going to make? But he pulled it out and he gave it to her. But that's not all he did. He promised to send her money every month. Well, that one act of compassion became the catalyst, the catalyst for World Vision's child sponsorship program, a program that has uh, impacted tens of millions of lives. Uh, this week, I had a meeting with Rich Stearns at Ebenezer, the president of World Vision. Uh, some of his staff, um, Pastor Dave, who leads our missions efforts here at NCC, uh, wonderful conversation. Um, he shared about how they're trying to to, to reach, and they're in 33 of the 50 most fragile states, saying, how can we bring the good news of the gospel to those places? And, and we talked about what they're doing. And, and did you know that World Vision, I think their budget is $2.7 billion. But how did it start? Two fish and five loaves, or maybe I should say five bucks. That's how, that's how it always starts. Listen, it's not your job. It's above your pay grade to worry about what God does when it's in his hands. It's our job to put what little we have in our hands into his hands and then see what he does. And all I'm saying is, if this little boy hangs onto his two fish, he still has a lunch, but he forfeits the opportunity to be a part of a miracle, not just one miracle. I would say it's a miracle for everybody that ate lunch, right? Can we just go on record and saying that? Um, so 20,000 miracles happened this day. 20,000 miracles. Why? Because he put it in God's hands. You are someone else's miracle. You are someone else's miracle. If you give those two fish, you never know how God is going to use it. Let me just take this opportunity and say thank you. I am overwhelmed by the faithfulness, the generosity of this church. I want to be careful because I don't want to pat us so hard on the back that we stop giving, okay? Because I think there's room for us to be more generous. I know there is for Laura and I. But here's what I know for sure. You aren't giving your money. That's not, that's not how we see it, and that's not how God sees it. You're giving your life. What, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm putting money in a popcorn bucket. No, you're not. How'd you get that money? You traded your time and your talent for a paycheck. Now, I don't know how much time. I don't know if it was a few hours or a few days. But you see what I'm saying? You traded part of your life for that pay. And you took the talent that God has given to you. You got paid using it. And so when you, when you give, man, you are giving your life. I just want to say thank you. Uh, more than giving your money, I want to say thank you for giving your heart and giving your life to this church. Verse 10, and Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted and did the same with the fish. Now, I read it so quickly, I wonder if we even caught it. He gave thanks. See, I, I'm... I'm what I'm doing here is not giving thanks because Lord, we got 5,000 people and we only got five loaves and two fish and I'm seeing a riot on my hands. Um, I'm seeing, I'm doing the math and I'm, I'm figuring out how short 
We are, but, but I love it. Jesus gives thanks. Um, I think the multiplier in this story is gratitude. Um, can I just say this? Joy isn't getting what you want. It's appreciating what you have. I'm also gonna tell you that when you tithe, listen, you will enjoy the 90%, 10% more, I promise you. And if you double tithe, you'll enjoy the 80%, 20% more. You get to the point where you're living off a of half of your income and you're giving half of it back to God. You will enjoy that 50% twice as much. Um, because when you begin to give, something shifts in your heart and there's just a greater joy. And so um, God, God won't multiply um, what you have until you give thanks. And so let's, let's cultivate uh, gratitude. Let, let me share one of my recent gratitudes. You know I number them. And so, um, in fact, it was today, uh, number 356. Okay, let me tell you what happened on Friday. Um, we had some wonderful people, part of our prayer team um, with great faith, say, we, we want to pray. Um, you've been talking about your asthma. We want to pray and ask God to heal you. And you know what? I, I got down on my face on my office floor and, and just said, pray for me. Like, I believe. I, God is able. And uh, I prayed for me. It was a wonderful time of prayer. And uh, I, I, I didn't take my inhaler for 24 hours. You have no idea how long it's been that I haven't taken my inhaler for 24 hours. And so I'm praising God like it's a little, little breakthrough. Um, and I want to tell you what happened. I decided to test it because that's, that's what you do. Go and get an x-ray. Go try it out. And, uh, and so I went running. And uh, I didn't make it a mile. And my lungs shut down. And I had an asthma attack. And um, I came back. I want to share with you what I wrote in my journal, number 356. Um, I was write down what I'm grateful for. And in this instance, inhaler. Stick with me. Went for a run, and my lungs closed up on me. Disappointing? Yes. But I'm going to keep stepping into the Jordan River and see if God parts it. My faith wasn't shaken. My faith was actually strengthened. That you know what? I'm going to keep getting on the floor and having hands laid on me. I'm going to keep believing God for the miracle. And uh, in the meantime, thank God for albuterol, okay? Um, I'm gonna keep giving thanks. I'm gonna keep believing God for the miracle. All right, verse 12. All right, here we go. When they had ha all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the, the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. That what that's what happens when you feed people. Right? <laughs> we'll make you king by four. Man, we'll have fish and loaves every day. Um, he withdrew himself again uh, unto the mountain. He here's where I want to land. Your generosity is someone else's miracle. Um, 
I had the privilege of serving as a trustee uh, on a small foundation, the Des Plaines Charitable Trust. I've done it for the last decade. And uh, when we come together for our annual meeting, one of the things that we do as a matter of habit is we read a part of the, the lengthy kind of constitution and bylaws. But there's one part in particular that we read because here's the backstory. The gentleman that, that created uh, this foundation, okay, um, was on the verge of bankruptcy in 1995, and he walked into a prayer meeting in a church. And in that prayer meeting, something happened. Um, he put his company on the altar. He knew it would take a miracle for this thing to turn out. And he pledged in that prayer meeting that, that if God would bless his company, that he would create a trust fund that would invest in kingdom causes. Also took out a life insurance policy. Then the beneficiary would be this trust fund. In 1989, he's in London for the Wimbledon tennis tournament and he's hit by a car and his life comes to an end here on earth at an age much younger than anyone anticipated. But his legacy lives on through hundreds and hundreds of grants that we've given. And, and those grants that we've given, the people that have received them, they would call them a miracle. They would call them a miracle. Here's what we read in the trust document. The trust is created in fulfillment of a pledge that James A. Lynn IV made to the Lord when Des Plaines Publishing Company was, by every known business standard, a bankrupt entity, as in truth was he. Following Mr. Lennon's commitment, the, the success of Des Plaines in the face of both national and local economic conditions can only be viewed as a miracle of God. And the miracle turns around. Why? Because he's someone who took his two fish, put it in God's hands. You know what? I think there's something about serving as a trustee for the last 10 years that, that has shifted my whole mentality. For starters, first part of the word is trust. And it also helps me understand. I can't tell you how many times I say to the Lord in prayer, I did it today. Lord, it's all from you and it's all for you. It is all from you. It is all for you. I'm just a trustee. Thank you for the opportunity to try to be trustworthy with what it is that you have given um, to me. So what's the next step? I, I think it's the simplest application in the world. If you put what little you have um, into God's hands, he can take a little and turn it into a lot and, and multiply it. Now, if you aren't giving, my guess is that um, your finances, um, they, they aren't what it could be. Um, I want us to experience the adventure of giving. Let me tell you a couple of stories and I'm done. Um, and, uh, but but I, I just, I was at a gathering of pastors this week and I have a friend who uh, pastors a church in the Midwest. I'm going to change his name just to protect the innocent, but uh, let me share two stories that, that he told me. Um, Bob was in Cairo, Egypt a few years ago on a mission trip, decided to visit the grave of William Borden. Have you heard of William Borden? You need to read his biography. Um, th this is the guy who was the heir to the Borden family, um, uh, dairy company, fortune, you name it. I mean, just, um, and he went to Yale. And when he, when he graduated from the Ivy League school, um, instead of taking on the family business, um, 
He felt called to be a missionary, a missionary to Egypt. And uh, I don't remember all of the details, but I mean, he, he lived only a few years in his early 20s, I believe. Uh, he died. But when he died, they found three statements in his Bible um, that profoundly um, challenged and inspired a whole generation of missionaries. This is what they found in his Bible. No retreat, no reserve, no regret. And so my friend Bob is in Cairo, Egypt, and he decides to go visit the tomb of William Borden. And when he shows up, there's some Muslim caretakers. And, and, uh, and they say to my friend um, that you Christians don't keep your word. He said, what do you mean we don't keep our word? He, he said, uh, they, they said um, that the Christians never paid for the casket. And my friend says, well, how much was it? And they said, $500. He pulls out his wallet, pulls out $500 and gives it to them. Fast forward. They send him this kind of iconograph. It's like a carving in wood, but beautiful. That it laid beneath William Borden's casket for a hundred years, they were so impacted by his, by him paying a debt he didn't owe that they sent, they took it to an antiquities dealer. And uh, the next thing you know, they validate it. That now hangs in the lobby of their church. How cool is that? Later in the day, he tells me another story and I'm done. He's at dinner with someone in his church and he notices the guy's watch. I didn't even know, uh, IWC big pilot. $15,000 watch. And he likes it. He's about to compliment this guy and God stops him. He said, the Lord said, don't, don't say a word. And so afterwards he's talking with his wife, like, was I coveting it? Was I like, is something wrong with me? And uh, well, for six months, the Lord had been telling this guy that he was supposed to give this watch to his pastor. Now, this is where I want to say, I don't even wear a watch, okay? Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't want anything. Don't, don't. Um, so a couple of weeks later, he's speaking and this guy is just kind of messing with him. And he said, all right, if you want me to give him this watch, then he's going to say my name in the next 30 minutes in this message. And I'm not going to call out lots of people's names right here, okay? Um, 30 seconds this friend on some random thing, had never mentioned this guy before, puts it out there. The next thing you know, um, he gives him his $15,000 watch. And, and that was the whole story to explain why he was wearing a $15,000 watch because he said he felt a little bit bad about it. He said until something happened not long after that. He said he was sitting on an airplane and the guy next to him commented on his watch. And he tells him the whole story of how it happened. And the next thing you know, the guy says, man, I didn't know that people could hear God's voice that way. And it turned into this awesome conversation of how God speaks to people. Then he gets off the plane, he goes to the baggage claim and another guy comments on his watch. And, and, uh, and so he tells him the story, the same story. And this guy cusses at him. And he says, 
a friend of mine told me I need to give away my tag watch. And he said someone can, would confirm it within five days. <laughs> and you just told me your story. Now I need to give my watch away. Thanks a lot. <laughs> when you pay off people's hundred year old debts, people are going to give you watches. Crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff is going to happen. When you give God your two fish and five loaves, you better get ready because some miracles are going to happen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to process this word with a humble spirit. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you, to trust you enough to put what little we have into your hands. God, I pray right now, the word of God. You said you would love us, bless us, and multiply us. Father, I thank you for those who have been so faithful. They're giving you the tithe. They're, they're living in a generous way. God, I pray that you would multiply them the way that you multiplied these fish and loaves. Not, not for any personal selfish reason, so that, but so that we can be a bigger blessing to the people around us, so that we can get in on the game that's afoot. God, your spirit is moving, you're working, you're preparing good works in advance. Lord, help us to be the people who give our two fish back to God. In Jesus' name, amen.